How can you achieve and maintain business growth? Harvard Business School Executive Education is now accepting applications for a new program, Driving Profitable Growth. Taking place in Boston from October 25th through the 28th, this program focuses on business expansion and organizational growth strategies that can lead your company into the future. Learn more about this three-day program for senior leaders by visiting hbs.me growth. That's hbs.me growth. You are Locked On Knicks, your daily podcast on the New York Knicks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, my city and wide. Yeah, let me take my time. I'm on my grind. Gotta make sure that we shine. What's yours is mine, and what's mine is yours. HR to the death and first always my team for sure. Go roll. Can't fall off. Got a family support. Gotta make sure we succeed and reach our dream. Now live through me. I'm about to take off. Hello and welcome to the Locked On Knicks podcast. This is episode 98. I am your host, Jared Dubin. I am recording this on Monday afternoon, but by the time you're listening to it, it will be around midday Tuesday, and the Knicks will have either already lost a heartbreaking game to the Pacers or found a way to finally get a win on the road. Um, We're going to do a mailbag, as promised last week. Finally got my recorder uh, straightened out and set up, so there will be Two episodes today, Tuesday, and then episode 100 tomorrow. Uh, As of now, that's just going to be a normal episode, although maybe a slightly bigger picture episode than normal, unless there's a particularly good topic idea that comes my way uh, the rest of today or tomorrow. But for now, we're just going to go through some of the mailbag questions that I got last week, and then there will be an episode later on about the Pacers game and whatever happens there. Uh, depending on how that goes, maybe some other topics too. Uh, here we go. So Mike Corte via Twitter asked, Compare and contrast Phil Jackson's time in L.A. and New York. Why success there but not here? Is it the cities, fans, or owners? Um, this is a very simple answer, but I also think the absolutely right answer, it's the players. Phil Jackson went to L.A. and they had Kobe Bryant and Shaquille O'Neal and, you know, they got Rick Fox, Robert Ory, Derek Fisher, all kinds of bench players. They have not had that here in New York. And some of that obviously falls on Phil himself. He's turned over the roster three times over now. But some of it is also he came into a team that wasn't nearly as good as the team that he inherited when he went to L.A. Um, some of it also is... Phil Jackson was the coach in L.A., and now he's the president, general manager. I mean, he's the president, but he performs the duties of what you expect a traditional general manager type to do. So not only is the actual situation different, but his job description is different. He is doing a much different thing in New York than he did in L.A. It's not comparing apples to apples or even apples to oranges. It's like comparing apples to computers. Like, (laughs) doing... He is in a much different situation, doing a much different job, and you can't just say, like, oh, why was there success there and not here? Like, some of it is the ownership. Like, Dr. Dr. Buss was one of the great owners in NBA history. 
James Dolan obviously has not been that. Um, fans, I don't think that fans actually affect the on-court product. Um, they obviously are affected by it in terms of, you know, they're called fans because the root of that word is fanatic, and, you know, those those people let, um, let the goings-on of the team affect their lives because it's important to them and it matters to them and it, it affects not just, you know, how they feel about the team, but sometimes affects, you know, how they feel in their lives and stuff like that. But I don't think they affect the on-court product in terms of overall success. Like, they can affect a particular game if the environment, uh, you know, is is really good or really bad in the in the building that night. But I don't think, like, Knicks fans hold any responsibility for the team not being as good in Phil Jackson's time here as it was in L.A. That, that doesn't make sense to me. You know, as far as the cities go, um, I don't think L.A. is any more exceptional, you know, for a basketball town than New York is. Like, I think the Lakers have obviously historically had much more success than the Knicks have, but I don't think that's because they're in L.A. and the Knicks are in New York. Like, I think it's because they've done a better job of being an actual basketball organization. So, you know, to me... Again, it's different players, different job description for Phil. Not any of the city that the teams are located in or the fans or, you know, the owners is a factor, but I don't think it's the biggest factor. Uh, that's, that's just where I come down on that. Uh, next question comes from Brent Mashia via Twitter, who asks, Can you imagine any of the current rookie stars moving to New York to play with Porzingis? Do you feel he can attract stars? Uh, I'm going to take these questions one at a time, um, with the second question first, do you feel Porzingis can attract stars? Yes. Stars like playing with other stars. Porzingis either already is or is going to be a star. So eventually when it becomes his team and when the Knicks have space to go out and acquire a star, I do feel that he will attract stars. Now, can you imagine any of the current rookie stars moving to New York to play with Porzingis? That's a much more complicated question. Uh, first of all, the current rookie stars, well, there's really only one of them, and Bede's the only rookie star right now. Uh, the other guys don't really look like uh, much more than role players or high-level role players, some of them. But if you accept these talking about young stars and not just rookie stars, well... The CBA mandates, basically, that teams get an absolute minimum of five years with their drafted stars, the four years of their rookie contract, and then if they take the qualifying offer in their year of restricted free agency, that's, you know, one more year. So at, at minimum, they will, or sorry, at the earliest, they'll become unrestricted free agents after their fifth season. Now, if you're a star on your rookie contract, I would say basically 95 to 99% of the time, those guys sign max rookie contract extensions, which keep them with their drafted team for another four to five years. So you're really looking at a minimum of eight to nine seasons with the team they get drafted by before they wind up hitting unrestricted free agency. Um, and now because of the new CBA, which included the designated veteran extension, where players can sign, you know, from after their seventh to before their ninth season, uh, an extension for five 
additional seasons on top of the end of their uh, current contract, it's possible that those guys could wind up staying with their team for a minimum of 12 to 13 seasons. So it's going to be much more difficult for the Knicks to acquire um, you know, star players in that age range. Um, that said, acquiring them in free agency is not the only way you can do it. You can acquire them you know, before they become stars on their rookie contract. You know, if a team doesn't think they're necessarily going to get there, you can acquire them via trade, um, you know, while they're on one of their extensions. You know, you lose the ability to offer them the designated veteran extension if you acquire them after their rookie deal, but you can obviously still, uh, you know, extend them with a regular style extension beyond that point. Um, you know, you can get them in, in off-season trades, you can draft stars. Uh, the Knicks, for the first time, have all of their first-round picks moving forward. That's obviously uh, a way to acquire a star to play alongside Porzingis. So I would say, to answer both questions at once, yes, I feel he can attract stars, but it will be much more difficult for the Knicks and any other team to do so during free agency because there's so much more incentive now for players to re-sign with their home team. That said, they can re-sign with their home team and then request a trade later on. You know, there's rumors right now that DeMarcus Cousins, or I guess not right now, maybe a couple weeks ago, that DeMarcus Cousins is going to sign like a five-year, 200-and-something million-dollar extension with the Kings. He could just be doing that to maximize his money and then decide that he wants to push for a trade later. Uh, who knows? You know, he says he wants to be in Sacramento, but, you know, players have said that before and then not necessarily... Uh, worked out with them staying in whatever that destination was long term. So that's sort of where I fall on that. Um, it also, you don't have to necessarily get stars in free agency. You can get sort of high-level players that aren't necessarily star guys. Um, you can get role players and then use... Um, you know, the draft and trades to acquire your stars. It's not necessarily something where it has to be, oh, guys are going to come to New York to play with Porzingis, even though I do think that that is possible that it could happen. Um, next question comes from Brian Pallavi via email, who says, Seriously, why doesn't Melo want to go to a good team? Not to be Skip Bayless hot takey, but is it possible losing doesn't bother him? Um... No, it is not possible that losing doesn't bother him. Um, if you have seen or heard Carmelo after any of the losses throughout this season or any other season, it's very obvious that it bothers him. It, also, it just doesn't necessarily bother him enough to push him away from a city that he loves and a city that his family loves, his wife loves, his son loves. And it's not, why doesn't Melo want to go to a good team? It's... Does Melo want that good team to be built here in New York? And does he believe that it can still happen? Um, you know, it's not... These things aren't mutually exclusive, or... That's that's not what I mean. They might be mutually exclusive. It does sort of look like they're not going to be able to build a true contender uh, in Melo's two, two and a half years left in New York. But, just because he... I don't want to say values one over the other... But he values being with the Knicks and being in New York in such a way that 
simply playing for a different team with a chance to win isn't enough to override everything else that he likes about being here. Um, you know, and, and this next question that we're going to get into sort of plays into this, so I'll, I'll stop there for now. Uh, it comes from DFace via email, who says, uh, sort of a long-winded email, I'll read the whole thing. He says, uh, first off, I'm curious as to what you think really changed in Carmelo's mind decision-making process in order for him to consider waiving his no-trade clause. Uh, as I talked about last week, he talked to Ali on his own of Newsday and said that he would consider waiving his no-trade clause if the front office came to him and said that they were going to rebuild. Um, so back to DeFates' email, who says, the consensus of opinion has always been that he's wanted to play for New York, retire in New York, has business interests in New York, his wife and family are happy in New York, so he had every reason to stay. So what changed? My theory, Lala. I think she saw the pressure he was under these past few weeks, and they had a conversation where she basically said, we'll be okay if you want to go somewhere else. If that's the case, I don't think we'll find out for sure until he puts out a memoir or something, which, you know, that's just hilarious. Um, as far as landing spots, initially I thought Boston would not work because he wanted, because he wouldn't want to go there. But now that I think about it, with their potential to be a contender now and the fact that he would be playing alongside a superstar ball-dominant point guard and surrounded by enough team defense to cover for his defensive woes and would be the last piece of the puzzle, Boston is only a couple hours away from New York. It actually makes a ton of sense. So what would Boston be willing to give up? There's talk of Crowder, role players, in the 2018 pick, not the 2017 pick. I think that would be a mistake on both sides. Number one, I think Carmelo is worth the Brooklyn pick because of everything he gives Boston that Boston has been missing as far as scoring threats and options. Number two, I think Boston doesn't need an amazing young point guard who could potentially be an all-star in the future. Plenty of other teams could use one in Boston. They simply wouldn't get enough time. Uh, anyway, that's enough rambling. Curious to hear your ideal landing spots and a good return for Melo. Obviously, several questions within that long email from DeFace. Uh, first one, what changed in terms of Carmelo being willing to consider waiving his no-trade clause? Um, as I said on last week's podcast, I don't think anything actually changed. I think that Carmelo simply turned the tables on Phil Jackson. Um, Phil, after their summit meeting a couple weeks ago, basically leaked out that he asked Carmelo whether he wanted to stay with the Knicks. That sort of put the onus for any potential trade on Carmelo himself and made it look like, you know, if a trade was going to happen, it's because Carmelo wants to leave. Now Carmelo has a conversation with Al where he says, you know, I don't want to leave, but if management comes to me and says that they're going to be rebuilding, then maybe I would consider it. So now it's basically Carmelo saying, you know, if the trade is going to happen, it's because the Knicks made a decision independent of Carmelo that they're going to rebuild and it's time for them to move on from Carmelo and have given him the option of leaving. That's really what I think that whole situation was. And it's not Carmelo all of a sudden, basically two days after he said, I'm not going nowhere, all of a sudden deciding like, oh, now I'm willing to go somewhere. Uh, to me, it was more of a, not necessarily a power play, but a leverage play in terms of who gets the quote-unquote blame if Carmelo actually does wind up being dealt. Um, now it's, it looks like a Phil decision or a Phil and Steve Mills and Dolan decision rather than a Carmelo decision where he decides that he wants to leave. Um, now, in terms of 
what would Boston be willing to give up and the 2017 or 2018 pick not being enough? Uh, yeah, if, if you think Carmelo is going to be dealt to Boston, you're going to have to square yourself with the idea of not getting the 2017 pick. Um, I do not think the Celtics are dealing that pick. We've heard several times that they're not going to deal that pick. Um, I would strongly think that if they do deal it, it's not going to be for a guy who's going to be 33 years old soon and probably wouldn't be the number one guy on the team based on the way they've oriented themselves entirely around Isaiah Thomas. Um, I don't think that that would be coming the next way. I um, think you're more likely, if Boston does happen, to see a combination of things like Marcus Smart, one of Crowder or Bradley, um, maybe the Celtics' own pick um, and not the Nets' pick, maybe that 2018 pick, who knows, but I don't think you're getting that 2017 pick at all. Um, you know, maybe it's Jalen Brown, maybe it's Marcus Smart, but I don't think is going to Boston anyway. He has a feud with, like, everybody on the team um, for years. Uh, I don't think that that's necessarily something that's going to happen. I mean, look, maybe I'll be wrong, but that's not something that seems all that likely to me. And if it does happen, um, I don't think you're getting that 2017 pick. You know, I've given my take on what I think is going to happen with Boston rumors over the next month. People are going to throw out ideas, like, here's a trade that gets Carmelo to Boston. And then Knicks fans are going to go nuts saying that the Knicks aren't getting enough for Carmelo. Celtics fans are going to go nuts saying they're giving up too much for Carmelo. And then Carmelo is going to say, I don't want to be traded. And then we're just going to repeat that cycle over and over for a month. Um, you know, as far as destinations that might actually happen, you know, I've said a couple times, there's not a lot of places that make a ton of sense. You know, Boston maybe makes sense, but probably not. Um, the Clippers theoretically make sense, but with Blake and Chris both injured, I don't necessarily see them making some sort of deal there. Um, you know, maybe the Wizards, if they fall off, but I'm not sure what you get from them. There's not really an obvious deal there. Um, you know, maybe Charlotte to go play for Jordan's team. But, again, I'm not sure what the motivation is for them or what the deal is there. Um, there's not a ton of teams that make sense. I think it becomes much easier in the offseason when, you know, you can more easily sell um, a dramatic change in direction for the team than you can during the regular season. And it's much easier to make things like salaries work. So, uh... I am not expecting to see him get traded, you know, by the deadline, which basically is, uh, I think it's a month from today. Today's, or sorry, a month from yesterday, or a month from the day that I'm recording and a month from yesterday by the time you're listening to this. Um, last question here, um, sort of a combination of questions um, that one I got from email and one I got uh, from Twitter, where it's basically Porzingis at center feels like a new era. Uh, we need to find out if Kuzminski and Hernan Gomez are rotation players, and then some people talking about, like, should we go small? Who should start? Um, you know, if, if we do go small. Um, since I got these questions, the Knicks have returned to their original starting lineup with Carmelo, Courtney Lee, Derek Rose, Porzingis, and Joe Kim Noah. So it looks like that small... 
uh, unit was a short-lived experiment. Um, as I've said several times, I think that the Knicks should go small more often. And as I've said several times, I think that the move, if they do go small, is to start Justin Holiday along with Rose, Courtney Lee, Carmelo, and Porzingis. Um, that allows Noah to sort of run more offense with the second unit rather than taking the ball out of Carmelo or Rose or Porzingis' hands uh, and sort of neutralizing all of their usefulness or not having the ball in Noah's hands when he's on offense and neutralizing all of his offensive usefulness. So, um, yeah, it's... Uh, it's not necessarily something that I think is going to be their de facto lineup. I do think maybe we'll see it some more throughout certain games, but I wouldn't expect it to be the uh, the norm from now through the rest of the season, even if guys like Hernan Gomez and Kuzminskis do start getting more playing time throughout the rest of the year. That's just uh, sort of where I fall on that. Um, so that's going to do it for the mailbag episode. Hope you enjoy that, and I'll be back later, um, you know, today, since you're listening to this on Tuesday, uh, I'll be back later today with another episode.